Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Hello, Freckled Foodie family. Happy Friday. I'm super pumped to share today's episode with Danielle Prescott, who is the co-founder of 2BG, a consulting agency focused on crisis management and diversity and inclusion direction. She is incredible. I found her on Instagram a while back from a IGTV video that she filmed that went absolutely fucking viral. And we talk about that a bit in the episode. The link to that is shared in the show notes. Um, she has formerly worked at places like InStyle, L, Teen Vogue, Moda Operandi, BET. She has been in the fashion industry for a while. And despite always using her position of influence to speak up for equality in the past, Danielle's voice was heard even louder during the rise of the recent BLM movement. She and her fellow colleagues of color spoke outwardly about the injustices against black people in the fashion industry and she really speaks her mind i love everything she's putting out there especially on ig so i highly recommend following her making sure you're consuming her content and listening to today's episode we talk on a ton of different topics actually some unexpected i didn't think us to go down that route but that's one of the reasons why i love having an unscripted show because we just let conversation take us where we want to go. So I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. As always, please rate and or review on iTunes and feel free to screenshot and share on your IG stories and tag Danielle and I and at Pod so we can reshare your thoughts with our community. And here's the episode. Hey guys, happy Friday. We are joined today with the co-founder of 2BG, Danielle Prescott. I am so excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I wanted to give a quick heads up for anyone listening. Danielle and I were just talking about this before we started recording. She is in New York, so there might be some background noise as we all are used to. So if you hear any type of ambulance, fire truck, construction, whatever, you're not getting pulled over on the side of the road. We are just bearing with the current circumstances as is 2020. Yep. Um, So to kick things off, how would you define success? Um, how would I define success? I mean, this is really funny because I have always been a perfectionist and achievement addict. So, um, (laughs) success was always like, well, obviously I'm the best. So like I have whatever award that I should get in whatever I'm doing or, Um, you know, 
I am just universally recognized as that. And like, I don't know, I, that living that way becomes very exhausting. (laughs) It's so exhausting because there's, it's never enough. And it becomes like really toxic as well because like essentially you're, you're, you can't be satisfied with just doing something for fun. So I ride horses and um, I read this article on this like horse site yesterday that was like, um, you know, rethinking achievement is like the key to like learning to ride as an adult or like riding as an adult because <clears throat> like you, there's, I mean, there's no competition right now when I get on right. a horse, like it's really just about like, but I of course have an idea of like what I should what level I should be at, you know, and I get frustrated. Mm. I was having so many issues um, in quarantine because I am someone who exercises so much. And because of this um, pandemic, I haven't been able to do that. And I tried the at home thing for a while and it just like, I am so, so unmotivated. Mm. I just can't figure out like my groove with this. And I know that like it should be easier. And I, I was, I whatever. Long story short, I was falling out of shape rapidly because I also used to walk to and from work. I used to walk to all my appointments and things. And like, I just like don't leave. So I don't do anything. So I'm like getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And I got on this horse and I literally couldn't make him do anything. And I was like, oh my God. So then I went the opposite route and I just was like, I worked out every day that week and I was like, okay, so the next week when I ride, I'm going to be even better. I'm going to get to be strong. And then I got on again and I couldn't do anything, but this time because my muscles were so tired and I was like, Jesus. So I couldn't figure out what the like right balance was. And, um, I think that just doing it because I like it and because it makes me happy like that has to be like now the new benchmark for like, you know, what I find acceptable. And like, Mm -hmm. I had a really great lesson on Sunday and I was like, I think it was because I didn't, you know, overthink it too much. But that said, I think living in New York have being able to be successful in this city um, has a lot to do with our ability to be competitive and to survive and um and to be successful here like you really do need a lot of grit a lot of determination um and ultimately a lot of money like I'm like I don't Mm -hmm. I I have I went to college in New York City so I also know what it's like to have no money here and I'm like having money is better it just makes everything easier so like but at the same time you're like you know, that competitiveness will start to get to you because I'm like, oh my gosh, like now all these other people just have so much more money than me and are just so much more comfortable than I am. Um, And that just gets magnified by you being here. So to me, I think like you have to really define success for your, for your own parameters um, because there's plenty of people who are like, yeah, like I'm good making $40,000 a year. Like I'm happy. I'm successful. Like I own my own home or like whatever, like that makes me happy. And I'm like, that probably wouldn't make me happy, but that doesn't mean that that person's not successful. Like that is their idea of what success is. So I think that we all have to sort of define it for ourselves, but hopefully 
if I get enough financial freedom, I will feel successful. (laughs) Well, I know. And it's such, it's really hard. And I do think I say often that I'm a recovering perfectionist and type A and over competitor with myself. Mm -hmm. And what you said about horseback riding is very similar to how I used to feel about running. And I would compete with myself like, oh, I have to run farther today than I did yesterday. I have to run faster. My mile pace has to increase. And then I realized, for who? who? What the fuck does it matter? I'm not competing. I'm not an Olympic runner. Like, It's just for me. And it took the fun out of things. And I think it's really easy, especially in New York, to get caught up in that type of energy and competitiveness and to what you mentioned at some point it is important because you know the city it it, no one sleeps everyone's doing something and you do have to stand out if you want to financially succeed in that way but there's also that line of finding comfort with just being happy and not constantly beating yourself up because I think the more and more you set these goals that aren't necessarily important, like what we were talking about with running or horseback riding and compete with yourself, you're never going to be satisfied because the second you achieve something, it's, well, what's next? The bar is just continuously rising. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And also, which is something I didn't mention, like, I think being successful is like in how your relate the quality of your relationships and how people think of you, because I don't want to be someone who is ruthlessly successful and everyone's talking about how I cheat on my husband or like I'm mean to, you know, staff or like, I I think that is like the worst thing ever. I think about this like constantly about how like Steve Jobs' daughter wrote a book about how he was such a terrible dad. And I was like, I, and of course, like, right. He is considered one of the most successful Mm -hmm. people in history. People love him. He's touched all of our lives. I'm talking to you right now from a MacBook. I have an iPhone. I have an iPad. I have an Apple watch, all of these things. But at the same time, like if you, like you have as a parent, like to not be a successful parent, that would gut me. I totally have all of, all of that. I'm like, I don't know. I I don't know what the balance is. Like I, and I don't know. And sometimes, yeah, I well on that point, I also was, I listened to an interview with Bill Gates and he was saying how his younger children have such different relationships with him because he was actually there for their childhood in comparison mm-hmm. to his older children when he was really grinding and trying to get the, the business started. Mm-hmm. But I also think that as someone who I have addictive behaviors mm-hmm. and not necessarily, I mean, it's why I've never done Coke because I know I would love it and I'd be addicted to it, but <clears throat> not in like drugs and alcohol, but more in behaviors. And I throw myself into work and I do find sometimes I'll catch myself when, you know, especially I was quarantined with my family for the first 70 days from March to June, I guess it was. And I was throwing myself into work and I kind of look back and I took a step back and realized, do I need to be doing every single thing I'm doing or am I just using it as somewhat of an escape or I think at that point I was so anxious and there was so much that we couldn't control and the work was one thing I could control. So I wanted to do more and more of it. I'm a control freak as well. But I think that I feel that way sometimes and I acknowledge it and realize I don't want to be this workaholic person who's never spending time with their family. Like I want to spend time with my husband. We're hoping to start a family soon. I want to be there for my children. And Mm -hmm. I think the industry that you know, we're both in is really hard because those blurred lines of personal life and work when it's Instagram and you're sharing your life. So it's going to be very interesting to navigate, especially with these personality traits that we're talking about. 
I also think it's probably more difficult for women in that regard, just because like, they're so much more traditionally looked at as like, like my mom was a stay at home mom. Same. And she eventually went back to work when we were like, um, in middle school um, but because like she lost so, so many years of like what it could have been a career. And now we're at the point in our relationship where she like, like so much of her entire identity is defined by like how she mothers us and our relationship to her. And of course we're adults now. So we need mm-hmm. her way less. And she, I noticed like is very like lost and almost wants to keep us more infantile so that like, she always has like a role in taking care of us somehow. Um, this is spot on. So very similarly, my mom was an investment banker and had a really intense job and gave it up to be a full-time mom when I was three and my older sister was like six, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's when we moved to the suburbs. And, you know, as we got older, she started to get involved with, she's not employed, but I say she's the busiest unemployed woman I know because she Mm -hmm. does so much work for our high school and our college and she's on the board and she does fundraising and all this stuff. But I agree that I think so much identity is in motherhood that, you know, she, she's obsessed with caring for us in a way. And like some, I, I really try to set boundaries, which we're not great at in my family, but you know, she's big on like trying to control things. And this is all stuff we talk about. So I feel comfortable saying this on here, Mm -hmm. but she, I think a lot of that, like wanting to control is because her identity for so long and her job has been, well, I'm caring for you. Like, this is my role. I have to, I am caring for you. I want to care for you. I, I don't want to let go of that. Um, I don't know if you felt this way, but I really like resented my mom growing up because I like, you know, I grew up in like the very girl power age, like Mm -hmm. women need careers kind of thing. And I was like, you know, when we had like career day, I was like, you can't come to my school because you don't have a career. Like you don't have a job. And I was always like, I'm going to be a businesswoman with an office. And now I have an office, like I have an office on like a very high floor in Times Square. And I'm like, this is hell. I want to be a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> so interesting because I don't think I ever did have that. And I wonder if she would say I ever acted that way because I think she made it very clear when we were young, like her job was so insane mm-hmm. that she was, you know, we were nanny kids in New York until we moved to New Jersey and she was an investment banker in the eighties. So she was working until like the ass crack of dawn coming home, like waking us up to, she used to wake us up to watch I Love Lucy with us or something. I don't remember any of this, but I think it was such a, she gave that up to do the motherhood that I, I don't think I resented her for that. And I, interestingly, I said this, I had both her and my dad separately on my show and My dad actually was, he graduated school and became a psychologist. And then he decided he wanted to do something more team oriented. And he like got a job at American Express in HR. And then he ended up climbing the ladder and like leading a department there. And then he went on to be the CEO of City Cards. And so I think he had so much success that people, when they met my mom in Jersey just assumed like, Oh, she just married this man. Cause like, mm-hmm. he's success- you know, I mean, they've been high school sweethearts. So not that she married him because of that, but she just has always been a stay at home mom and she never had to work. Mm-hmm. But in reality, like she was the breadwinner for so long and she was the reason he was able to be a psychologist and take an HR job. And like, 
I think I have so much respect for her that she was willing to then give that up to be like, okay, I had my time. I, like you go try this and I want to stay with the children. Mm-hmm. Does that make, it's just, it's so interesting now to reflect back as we're getting older and like, especially as I consider to start a family, I'm like, what this, it's all so wild to me just to unpack your childhood once you're older and you can reflect. Well, also like, I mean, now I'm like, I would totally make the choice that she made. And I recognize how important her presence in my childhood and my life has been because I'm like, yeah, if I get sick or if I don't know something or I need something, I call her immediately and I know she's going to be there. So it's like, I have, you know, there's such a confidence in that relationship where I think that there's such an insecurity with a lot of other kids who maybe didn't have that. And I know that there's a lot of women that feel guilty about that balance. Like when Mm -hmm. I first got to BET, we had a female CEO and she had been working there for over 30 years. She'd been working at BET for 30 years. And she like in her retirement speech, you know, she apologized to her children because she was like, I think, I'm sorry for all of the Christmases I had to work all these days I had to work. And I was like, yeah. so on one hand, like everyone who is working for her, like looks at her like, wow, like you really killing it. Like, you know, like this is amazing. And she's like, but there was a cost to that too, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, for me, you have to really like weigh what that cost is going to be. And I don't think that like any job necessarily could be, worth that. I don't Mm -hmm. know. And I think it's a conversation that is finally starting to be had, but I also think it's a conversation that needs to be had in a male's perspective as well. Because, you know, I look at paternity leave, for instance, it's a joke. Like at my old job at JP Morgan, Mm -hmm. it was two weeks. And if a guy actually took the two weeks, he was looked down on. I'm like, are you freaking kidding? Only two weeks to help a wife who just birthed a child and his baby. Like that's wild to me. And also, you know, I had this conversation with my husband and he is we were like walking around New York one day and he had taken the day off and we saw a school bus. And he was like, wow, I never see school buses in the city. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, now that I work from home, like I see them every once in a while. And he's like, well, I'm surprised I don't see them when I'm walking home from work. And I said, why would you see a school bus when you're walking home from work? School gets out at three o'clock. And he's like, no, it doesn't. It gets out at five. And I said, what? 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 And I'm like, Joe, what world do you live in? School did not get out at five. He's like, Kimmy, yes, it did. And we got in this heated debate. And I knew he was wrong, but I said to him, what time do you think your basketball games were? And he said, six. Otherwise, how would parents have gotten there? And I'm like, wrong. Your games were not at six or 6.30. Your game started at like four o'clock. And that's why my dad was never at any of my games. And he just had this aha moment of, I don't want to be a parent that is tied to my desk and missing, you know, we're both athletes our whole lives and through college. So that's like the one thing that really means a lot to us just in hindsight. He's like, I don't want to miss our kid, our future kids games because I'm tied to a desk. And I said, yeah, I know that's something we're going to have to navigate and figure out. It's just so there's no, I think 2020, if there's one fucking positive we can take from this year, I do think it's causing people to reassess the work-life balance and what that looks like. And even just from my friends, and maybe you can speak to this, but who are typically in offices who are now experiencing what it feels like to work from home. And, you know, a lot of them don't enjoy it, but they are realizing there are some benefits and maybe there's a world where we work half the week in an office and half the week from home or something like that, just finding more balance. 
I know. I mean, right now I feel like there's less balance than ever, to be honest, because yes. at least- Well, you've got I, a desk in your bed, which has to stop. I, that's what I'm on right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm on my desk in my bed, which is terrible. Toxic. Terrible. Um, but at the same time, I don't have space for a actual I know. desk in my New York City apartment. Because when I decided to move here, like, I mean, I traveled so much. I was barely home as it is. I was so busy, but I made a real effort to make sure that I would like come into the office at nine. I would leave the office by by five or before five. I would go to my workout classes, like after work and like really Mm -hmm. had boundaries and now I wake up in my office. Um, I'm like, okay, like, you know, I, if I get an email at 10 p.m., like, I might answer it now, whereas before I would never. Totally. But I'm like, what, what is the real difference? Like, I'm going to answer it now or I'm going to answer it in six hours. Like, and so it's like really trying to carve out what it means um, to have that balance again, because I think I've, I've really been struggling with it. Um, yeah, it's something I struggle with. The sec, like as soon as I left the corporate world, it was like, nope, there are no boundaries. I work from the second I get up at six thirty until the second I go to bed, and I'm really trying to be better. But it's it's hard. I mean, it's it's just hard. As sad as that sounds, um, and something I actually did want to touch on just while we were talking about families is you openly shared your IVF journey of freezing your eggs mm-hmm. and the struggles of that and what went into that. Can you share a little bit about that for anyone listening? Because I shared. I guess, I don't know when this episode will release, but I recently was told that, you know, I had a blood work done and my doctor immediately was like, well, you need to do IVF. You have a low egg count. And for me, it was like, what the fuck? This just went zero to 60. Like we haven't even tried yet. Mm. And automatically was very overwhelmed by the process. And I am really finding so much comfort in influencers like yourself. And I know Hannah Bronfman has been very vocal about her journey just throughout, whether it's with a partner or choosing to freeze your eggs on your own. Shanae Alexander is doing it right now. And I think that it's a topic that more people should openly discuss. Yeah. I think it's crazy that it's not presented as an option. I don't know. Do you watch the Mindy project at all? Or did you watch that show? It's so funny. I love her so much and I am honored that she actually happens to follow me on Instagram and I'm Mm -hmm. going to, it's going to be one of the shows that I start. We're going to New Hampshire for a month and I just want to like binge TV and lay on the couch. And it's going to be a show that I watched because my sister said I would love it. Yes. So you definitely should watch it also because she is an OBGYN in that, um, Um, show. And one of the things that she does is she ends up starting like a fertility clinic and like her idea is to market it towards women in college. Mm -hmm. And this is because no one even tells you this, but as you get older, your chances of fertility decreases. That's why there's so many teen pregnancies because you are very right. And the fact that you're more egg count, like no one tells you that. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you just have like the quantity and the quality of your eggs decreases as you get older. Right. And it's just not something that is discussed. Um, And I found myself, I was in a serious relationship when I was in my late twenties and I broke, like I broke up with that boyfriend and then I started dating some other guys and like, it was just like disaster after disaster after disaster. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So now I am 30 and I definitely thought I would be married by now, but I'm not married and I don't have a partner and I don't even know when the next time I'll be able to get a partner is. So I was like, but I know I want to be a mom. 
Um, so I need to like look into this. And mm-hmm. that's the other thing. It's like, you know, there's a lot of women because it's very expensive. So expensive. So cost prohibitive. Um, that becomes a barrier of entry for a lot of women. So a lot of people don't even look at it look into doing it till they're older because when you're older, you're making more money. But by the time you're like 40, that, you know, the quality and quantity of your eggs is not as good as it was when you were 20. So I went to, I had to go to like this seminar um, before I started the process. And I was like the youngest woman in there by like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I was watching like the faces of like the other women when they were like seeing like the charts of like your fertility and all of these things that I was like watching them be so scared. And I was like, thank God I decided to do this now because I don't know like how I would be able to take the information. It's like almost like I'm like, they're almost like it's too late. Like for some people. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's awful that they wouldn't like, it's not just discussed enough that like, that's something you should look into. So back to the Mindy project, she goes around to college campuses and tells girls like, Hey, like no one is saying have a baby now, but just like, we'll, we'll make it affordable, do this thing now. And then you can decide later. Mm-hmm. And I love giving people options. I think that is so important. Um, and so I Decided to pull the trigger on it um, two summers ago, last summer, last summer. Um, so I started it like in May and I was finished by July. Um, but yeah, it was, and it was really difficult. Like just because I did it all by myself and mm-hmm. um, I had a full, like, this was, you can hardly remember, but summer 2019 we were able to have full lives. So I was like, yes. often, and you have to give yourself the shots the same time every single night. So I'd have to like sprint back to my right. house. I was with my friend it. doing it. And she um, was like, we were out. She goes, I have to give myself a shot. Yeah. Or like, I was like, I had to like travel and you have to go to the doctor and get checkups. So like I had um, a press trip and I had to like leave at like four in the morning to be able to get back to the doctor so I can get my ultrasound and my blood work done. Like, and be, once you like start the medications, you cannot mess up because the medications are like the most expensive part of it. So mm-hmm. like once you start like doing those injections, you literally can't miss a day. You can't miss an appointment. Like it is like the only thing you can focus on for two weeks. Um, it's very yeah, intense. It was really you brutal. We're able to successfully freeze the eggs, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so I only now- had to do it one time because again, I was very young. Um, so I think we ended up with like 27 and then 22 were viable. Wow. So yeah, they're in a, they're in a, um, a freezer somewhere in Boston. My friend froze her embryos with her husband and they've been married for like a, a little bit now. And everyone's question is, when are you having kids? And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, we have nine kids. They live in a bank up on the Upper East Side. Yeah. And everyone's like, what? <laughs> and it's just like she loves saying that to get the reaction. Because again, like not everyone wants to have kids right away or not everyone has the opportunity to have kids at the age that they originally thought they would. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible that science is allowing us to do this. It's just, I don't think talked about enough. And there are a lot of roadblocks along the way, cost being a huge one of them that I wish could be fixed. Um, I wish too. I, I think it's terrible. And I, and I also just think like the lack of information, I'm like, why in my just like annual gynecological exams were we not like, Oh, like, you know, it's like 
everything is about how to like prevent a family, but it's like, but we're not even exploring like, cause there could be someone as young as 25 who yeah. has like compromised fertility. So it's like, why wouldn't we just like check that out and mm-hmm. give people the most information about their own health and their own bodies as early as possible? Absolutely. I agree. Um, and then another thing I wanted to touch on is how I originally found you through Instagram, mm-hmm. your IGTV that went absolutely viral and has, I think, like two and a half million views right now mm-hmm. that you posted, congrats, you woke up, now what? And I mean, I'm going to link it in the show notes because I do think everyone should watch it. And I remember seeing it being like, okay, I need to follow this woman because she speaks her mind and I love that. But also you really called out, I think, what a lot of people, specifically black and people of color, were feeling about the white performative aspects of the BLM movement, especially right after George Floyd's death. And then with like blackout Tuesday and we are muted and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I would love if you could kind of touch on that and what sparked that video and you know, how everything has changed. I feel since then with not with your platform, but you know, especially with the co-founding of two BG and some of the other IGTVs you've made and how you're very active in calling brands out on your platform. Well, I mean, I have worked in fashion since I was 18. I got my first internship when I was 18 at Nylon Magazine. And so I have been in this industry for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And in general, I am concerned with the level of apathy that exists um, in favor of things being like, oh, well, fashion is about fantasy or escape or, you know, whatever. Um, and I think that that behavior is really like pervasive in this industry and it becomes pathological. And so actually when Ahmad Arbery was killed, I mm-hmm. found it extremely disturbing that like people were just like posting about their avocado toast and their workouts, yeah. like their whatever. And I was like, how weird that like I saw this thing. I was so like upset by it. And then like all these people that I know very well were just like, whatever I'm working out, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I was, I was very surprised. Um, Mm -hmm. And then of course, after that, you know, we had the death of Brianna. Well, we found out about Brianna Taylor's death. We had, George Floyd, um, as well. And finally then people started posting more. Um, and you know, I'm like, okay, so what my problem is in this industry is the likelihood that like you will experience police brutality, witness it firsthand or experience it yourself, uh, is pretty low. Yeah. Um, that's not to say it like can't happen, but like, just like in the things that we're dealing with on a daily basis, like that's probably like not going to like cross your path. However, what I was like kind of confused about was like how all of a sudden all these brands and these influencers were able to be like, Oh yes, like this is so we, this needs to change. Um, And here's this quote from Nelson Mandela or this quote from Desmond Tutu. And it's like, but you have actually willingly participated in the dehumanization of black people and other people of color in the simple fact of like the brands that you partner with, how you have built up your following, the people that you personally follow and interact with. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, 
on a lot of levels, I know this because I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, their black population there is 7%. So I am a lot of people, even in my adult life, I know I'm their only black friend. I know I'm probably the only black person they know. Um, besides people who work for them. So like their housekeeper or their gardener right. or their nanny. Um, and that, cause I'm like, and I know this because I've been to your weddings. I've been to your baby showers. I've been there for the most intimate celebratory moments of your life. You don't invite like your casual friend to that. I'm like, you invite your best friends to that. And I see that the only one here that's black is me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, I, feel the need to say like you have had so many opportunities to actually fix racism. So like now like this post, like, yeah, sure. You should have said something. Cause I was like pissed off that people weren't saying anything about Ahmad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, so now like two weeks later, you've like wised up. So you're like, okay, I'm going to post about this. So I don't look very insensitive, but it's like, but <clears throat> what about the media you consume? What about the people you're interacting with? What about the brands that you shop and promote? Like all of those things are opportunities to engage with anti-racist behaviors, but like none of you choose to do that. So why? Like that's, and I'm like, and I have been talking about like what brands do that it's like messed up for so long. Like I can't even, um, tell you how many times I have like called people, called people out in quotes, called people out. And I'm like, and people just like ignore it or they don't say anything or they're like, Oh, she's talking about this again. She's always mad about something. But I'm like, but if a publication took the time to do a mother's day feature on 20 something women, and they did not include a single black woman, even though black women are three times more likely mm-hmm. to have a maternal mortality rate or infant mortality rate than a white woman, even in her same economic bracket, same education bracket. Like that's like, like a black mother is like a miracle. Yeah. You know, you were like literally you sat down and you put together this whole list and you didn't see anything wrong. And it's not even just a black woman. You didn't have an Asian woman. You didn't have a Southeast Asian woman. You didn't have a Latina woman, nothing. And I'm like, you really thought that that was acceptable. And so I'm like people who participated in that and people who consume that media, I'm like, Mother's Day was the second week of May. George Floyd was killed the last week of May. Ahmaud Arbery was killed in between then. And so I'm like, so so you see no connection here mm-hmm. at all. And that's where I'm like, what is wrong with people? I think that something that people really don't think about is that you don't just you don't just throw up your your post on Instagram and like racism is solved. Right. And I think that was that was something that I think Blackout Tuesday, there was a huge lack of understanding and just I think it was kind of a miss overall. But I found when I went on social media that morning, my so my sister had taken a few days off social media and I called her and I was like, You need to fucking open your phone. This is this is outrageous. Like every single person is posting a black square. People who I know mm-hmm. have said things that are completely inappropriate. People who I know don't give a shit, but are like, oh, I have to do this. Otherwise, I'm a bad person. I do think there are some people who were posting things that they do care. And I think they were just at a loss and they were confused and they didn't know what to do and they felt pressure. And, you know, there's something to be said about that. But I just, 
I feel as if there's there was, especially at that time, a misunderstanding that, oh, if I mute myself or if I post this black square, then all of a sudden racism is solved. And I've done my part and I can feel good about myself and I can walk away. And I've had a hard time recently because I feel and like whether it's racism or what's happening, which I do think is, you know, coincided, but what's happening with Trump and just everything that's happening in today's world, I think if you have a platform you have a voice and you need to be using that voice to be talking about these things. And I think every white influencer I followed was posting about the black lives matter movement when it first happened. Well, when it first really like took the forefront after the killing of George Floyd, but then stopped posting about it. And, you know, they're not, they're not posting about RBG dying or, you know, the terrible things that Trump is implementing. And I kind of shared this thing. I mean, I totally lost my shit the other day. I was crying on my stories and I was like, people, consumers, you have a voice. Message these influencers that you are cheering on and commenting and liking. Message them and ask them why the fuck they're not talking about this shit. Like your voice counts as well and you can encourage people to use their platforms in a way that's not performative, but is actually trying to do something and help and make a difference. Yeah. And it's, it's really exhausting too, because I'm like you, I don't know about like how forced you feel to like interact with these people. But I'm like, I know that I have to like sit at dinners with them. And I like, I mean, not now, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but, like ideally, like when the, when the world is like more back to normal, like, you know, I have to like sit at dinners and have conversations with them. And it's like, but you've already shown me what your belief system is, where your mm-hmm. heart is, where your energy is, because if you can, put that much effort into promoting, you know, your meal delivery service or, um, I don't even know, like any other, um, um, a dry shampoo, whatever it is. And I'm like, you should like, because why do you even do that in the first place? Because you understand that having an audience is valuable Mm -hmm. and it like giving things attention and awareness Will and people swipe up to your life. Hire them to action to potentially purchase something. Okay, great. That is the system we're setting up with social media. So why then would you not find it equally as important to say, you know, what it is that you believe and like really feel that like people just don't have the stamina to continue it. And it's it's racism infects everybody. Like Ibram Kendi <laughs> called it metastic, like because he mm-hmm. had um, cancer and he was like, that is like what racism is to Americans. Um, and it's almost like, you know, he did make a comparison to like it being like alcoholism. Like you would never be an alcoholic. And it's just like, so today I'm not an alcoholic. It's like, no, right. you're an alcoholic you <laughs> for life and you need to address it every day of your life. And every day you make that choice not to drink. And almost, mm-hmm. and it can sometimes come down to every minute you make that choice not to drink. Um, and so like, that is the, the same way you need to treat racism. You need to do an action every single day. Like you need to make sure you're addressing it every single day because it is not going to go away. And there were even some influencers who posted something on blackout Tuesday. And then the next day was like, okay, so here's my day yesterday since I wasn't allowed to post. Oh my God. That's what really bothered me when it was like, okay guys back. I muted myself for the week. What really killed me. And I unfollowed many people was after that week where I, I never mute hashtag muted myself because I felt I had a platform I want to share resources that I'm learning from. I found that to be more beneficial if I was sharing information 
that was educational led by black or people of color than for me to just be silent. And I found it very infuriating when all of a sudden that hashtag muted week was up and it was like, okay, now original back to regularly pro, like programmed content or something. And I'm just like, do you think that fixed everything? And I think something that, so you started 2BG, a consulting agency focused on crisis management and diversity inclusion direction with Chrissy Rutherford, which now you offer like workshop seminars as well as I believe you're going, you will eventually when we're back in maybe a like world that you can enter buildings, but hopefully do corporate type of work as well, right? Um, We actually are doing it with a lot of large companies. So we just can't do it like- And just do it virtually? Yeah, Yeah. do it on Zoom. Yeah. So, and so it's been working out fine. Like, I'm like, I don't know. I think you get it, even if we're not in yeah. the room. Um, no, I agree. And with this, I think, so I joined one of the, like, seminars, and I really encourage any influencer or just consumer to participate. But something I really enjoy that you've also promoted is that, you know, anti-racism, being an quote-unquote anti-racist or working in allyship is more than reading me and white supremacy or like how to be an anti-racist or watching the 13th. I think there's also a misunderstanding of how important it is to normalize black people. And this is kind of, I'm using the verbiage you wrote in an email this morning, but normalize black people as sources of inspiration and entertainment in your life, Mm -hmm. not just the academic. And I started to realize a few months ago during quarantine, I became, I used to read a lot and then I stopped when I stopped commuting and then I became a book addict during mm-hmm. quarantine. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize every single book I was reading was a white protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I read, um, why the hell can I not remember the name now? Who know. Oh shit. I will find it. Um, it's a three part series. It's kind of mystical. It was one of my favorite things I read and it's two words. Okay. I'm going to find it. But anyway, blood and bone. Yes. Oh my gosh. And the the series. Yeah. I found it incredible. And I actually don't like mystical type reading, but I just loved it. And I remember when I first read that, I was like, wait a second. This is the first book I've read with a black, I don't know if cast is the right word, but characters. And that I think really drew my attention to it's a lot also about the media you're consuming. And I read Queenie and I loved Queenie and I am obsessed absolutely enthralled with the wedding date series right now. I'm on book Mm -hmm. five, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really important as you mentioned and promote for people to also look at that aspect of their life. And especially when you have children, like what are the books that the kids are reading? What are the toys that they're playing with? Like it's so deeply rooted in ways that I don't think people are fully aware of until someone points it out to them. Well, I also think that again, that is just like a function of how racism works because Things that are black are always deemed inferior and like Mm -hmm. they're not put into school curriculums. They're not celebrated or unfortunately, like, you know, a lot of people's only introduction to black literature is something like Toni Morrison, who is basically like peak canon, right? She is incredible, but her work is deeply traumatic um, Mm -hmm. for readers And it's like, I don't necessarily want like everyone's like window into like 
if you don't know any black people, like your, your first view of black people is like all, everyone is struggling and everyone is abused. And, you know, there's like all of these like fucked up family dynamics and all of this stuff. I'm like, you know, like we can have like, like Jasmine Gilroy series. Like we can have people who just have like jobs and work stress and best right. friends and dating problems and stuff like that, because that exists too. There is a spectrum and white people are allowed to have that spectrum, right? Like we're mm-hmm. allowed to have, um, the Kurt Vonnegut and the Jane Austens and everything like work simultaneously and everyone understand that but black people are not and that's what like makes it very limited so I think that expanding your access and your um your just like network and like the things that you look at and absorb is really Mm -hmm. critical and I think podcast is another huge one you know that's something I also started to notice and just you know, expanding the media that you're consuming that's not solely focused on the trauma that Black people are experiencing. Obviously, learning about that and learning yeah. about the inherent ra- racism that exists in our society, but then also just consuming, n- quote unquote, normal Black content. You know, that's just what you would consume on your normal day, but it's from a Black voice and it's giving you a different opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, thank you so much for being on here. This has been so wonderful. I do close. I bring it back to food, which I know we didn't really touch on at all because this show is weirdly not focused on food, which everyone is confused by. Um, But what would be the three ways to your heart through food? Oh, my gosh. I (laughs) don't know. I mean, I'm so like I don't cook at all. And truly, I am like so malnourished right now because like I didn't even realize how dependent I was on restaurants and like mm-hmm. being out <laughs> to be able to feed myself. Also, because if you saw my kitchen, you would understand. I have no windows in my kitchen. I don't even have drawers in my kitchen. Okay, that's and fair. This is not even like a concern of mine because again, I had never even spent more than three seconds in there. Um, because <laughs> Are you I someone just- that keeps shoes in their oven? I have beauty products in my cabinets. I don't not I don't have shoes oh in the oven, but like I yeah, I don't think I really turned on the oven. Like I just it's awful. So trust me, like it's I, I I'm like when I move places, like I'm like looking for like somewhere with a kitchen because I never thought mm-hmm. that I would like have to like learn to cook or like learn to make myself food. But anyway, um things that I like. Um I love oat milk. I need to have oat milk <laughs> every day. Um, I put it in tea. I just made matcha with it. So that is like necessary. My second favorite food is um, Australian licorice. It's like- I don't think I've ever had that. What? You have to have it. It is like, it's like licorice, but like thick. (laughs) Is it like black licorice or red licorice? Like red. I mean, there is black, but I don't like black red. I don't either. So you can get it. They, they have them at like CBS. You can get it on Amazon. Um, I, that's like my favorite snack. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also love popcorn. Yes. Like my my family's big on popcorn. Are you like a stovetop popcorn or like bagged or microwave? Oh, I like, I mean, I like all kinds, but I really love like gourmet, like fancy popcorn. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's that company where it's like the three split, you know, like the big bin? 
Yes. I mean, oh, that, around the holidays. Popcorn, I know them all. That's Popcorn Factory, but there's <laughs> like this, there's this place in Chicago called Garrett's and they have like, they have an outpost in New York, but um, if you go to Chicago, like it's like really famous there and they make this like combo of like cheese and caramel and it's like salty and sweet. It's so good. So yeah, I love all kinds of popcorn. It's like also a favorite snack of mine. See, if, as you can see, like these three things have nothing to do with each other. And also there, there's zero nutritional value in any of them. And so that's probably why I live the way I do. That's fine. And you know, speaking of popcorn, have you had the lesser evil snacks? Like they make these like paleo puffs. They have like, oh. you've probably seen the bag. Well, they just sent over some pumpkin spice popcorn, which is never something I ever thought I would have needed. And it is so delicious. Oh, wow. Interesting. No, I've oh, never had that. I'll DM you the company. It's so good. Um, well, thank you so much for being on here. For everyone listening, where is the best place for them to follow you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram or on Twitter. I've actually been on Twitter a lot more. I saw your rant this morning and I respect because, it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like, wow, Twitter is like, I, I, haven't, I was on it for um, the Emmys on Sunday and I was like, this is kind of fun. I was like, I'm never on here. So I've been on Twitter, but yeah, it's just Danielle Prescott on all um, platforms. Okay. And that'll all be in the show notes. Um, Thank you so much for everyone who listened. And Danielle, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Danielle as much as I did per request of just timing and like wanting to be in the know when this was recorded. That episode was recorded end of September. So honestly, not too long ago, we're like finally catching up. I feel like I have a backlog of recordings. I went fucking balls to the wall in September and recorded so many episodes. And obviously I release every week. So we're kind of playing catch up, but I wanted to make sure that we, I wasn't recording any episodes while Joe and I were in New Hampshire because I was also just concerned about Wi-Fi. to be totally honest. Um, so anyway, that's when that was recorded. I really enjoyed our conversation. I love following Danielle and I hope you guys check her out after listening to the episode. Life updates over here. Um, we are back from New Hampshire. So we were there. People are so fucking observant. I'm like amazed by you guys. I got a lot of DMs being like, I feel like you were supposed to be there for longer, like, or that flew by. So we did come back a little early. Um, my parents were headed to Florida and I was going to basically go like two months without seeing them. And I know how fortunate I am that that's even a big deal, but I don't think I've even gone like two weeks without seeing my parents, specifically my mom. So like my whole life, even in college. Um, So we came back a few days early just to be able to see them and also get settled back at the house because we are actually headed to Philly well, the day this episode records, we'll be in Philly. Um, my brother-in-law is having a micro wedding. So we just wanted to like, get back and like figure out and organize and stuff before we head to Philly for two nights. So that is kind of our update. It was so great to be there. I had so much fun. Um, but I said this on my Instagram stories, like as much as I love vacations or trips and that like it goes for, even I felt this way on our honeymoon. Like there does hit a point in a vacation where I'm like, I've had so much fun. I have loved this, but I need to get home now. Like I am just such a homebody. I miss the comfort of my home. And I know 
we're not really in our apartment home, but like this, we're in my childhood home. So it feels even more homey to me. Um, I don't know. I, it's like the comfort of my bed, my home, like knowing what's around. I don't know, but I hit a point where I was like, I really miss home. And it's, I don't know if it's embarrassing. It's ridiculous, but it's also funny for me because I had pitched the idea when originally we were supposed to be in Hawaii for our anniversary because our friend was getting married and that's where we honeymoon. So we were going to go early and like go back to the hotel we stayed at, whatever. Obviously none of that happened. Um, and so when all of our weddings of 2020 were canceled or rescheduled and we had all of these vacation days and our vacation budget was replenished, I was like, well, let's rent an RV and do like a month long cross country road trip. I would not have lasted like a fucking day. And I don't know who I think I am for thinking that I would be able to do this. And I was like really pushing Joe and Joe was way more realistic than me. And he also, I think knows me better than I know myself a lot of times. And he was like, Cam, I, it just, you know, I, I don't think you're really thinking this through. Like, I just don't see you being someone that is going to do well in these circumstances. And I think Instagram has convinced me that I could live in a van And in reality, I just don't think that's the case. And I wish I could be someone that could do that, but I just come with too much baggage. And I mean that both physically, emotionally, and literally. Like, I even packing for New Hampshire was a sick joke, how much shit I bring. Like, I just, I come with too much, emotionally and physically. So, I'm... I mean, I would love to be able to do that. It's still like a dream trip of mine. I still want to go out West and do a ton of like the national parks, but maybe we just won't be living in an RV for a month. I don't know. I I, like still some sick part of me thinks that I would be able to do it, but like a six hour drive, I was complaining and dying and ready to get home. So I live in two alternate universes. I think a world that like, I wish I could live in almost. And like this person that I I sometimes think I am. And then the reality of who I actually am. And I just flop between them. And maybe we're all doing that. Um, I'm going to answer some listener cues. So one is the favorite. What's your favorite armchair expert episode? Honestly, I feel like this would just be like a fan show for armchair expert. Um, I have to say that. So two of my favorites are like really old ones. The one with Kristen Bell. I just like loved that episode because I loved them so much. And I really enjoyed how honest it was. Like they were fighting half of the time. And I just loved that. Um, And then I really loved the episode with Ashton Kutcher. And I don't know why that sticks out to me. Maybe because I love him so much. But I did really enjoy it. And then obviously like the top episode has to be day seven because... I I mean, my heart just broke for Dax. The second I saw the title, I knew what was happening. And I just have so much admiration and respect for his honesty and vulnerability and willingness to really like put his shit out there and share what he's going through in real time. And he's just my hero. Dax, I hope you're listening to this. I know you're not, but we can all dream. Um, someone asked how I'm feeling anxiety medication wise and that they're sending thoughts. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I honestly feel great. So I did go off for just for backstory for anyone who's unsure what's happening. Um, I had gone off of my amitriptyline in, I believe it was like end of July, early August 
because Joe and I wanted to like start the idea of having a family and my doctors didn't want me on that specific medication while I was potentially trying to conceive or pregnant. So I'd gone off of it and 2020 just isn't the year to go off of anxiety medications. And I felt okay in the beginning. And then I really hit like a bad spell of just like anxiety. Like I had never felt before and panic, honestly, every morning and I realized that I needed to be on medication and, you know, we can do as much as we can possibly. And, you know, I can meditate all I want. I can journal all I want. I can take all the CBD in the world, but some of us just need extra assistance and I'm not one to deny that or run away from it. Um, If I broke my leg, I wouldn't resist using crutches. So I talked to my doctors about going on a medication that they felt comfortable with me on if I were to potentially get pregnant. So I started Zoloft and I've been on it for, I think a month now. I haven't noticed any side effects. Um, again, I'm on a low dosage similar to what I was on with amitriptyline and I feel great. So I'm really grateful for that. And I appreciate you asking and sending your well wishes. Another question was how to continue on with life as a 23-year-old with a job, but I'm living at home. I really struggle giving advice this year because I just feel like these are unprecedented times where none of us have experienced what's happening in the world. Like, I have so much empathy and sympathy for people who are either like, in college right now and are having to live at home and not experience college or those like right out of school who like were about to move into New York and or whatever city and now they aren't or people with kids like I don't know how you work from home and teach children like my friends and I were saying I feel like we're not that this is an ideal time for anyone but we're kind of in the ideal age for this to happen because I don't have much like we don't have responsibility other than ourselves and like we have had the high school, college experience right out of school. Like we're in this weird lull period of our lives where it's not the worst time for this to happen to us. And I know that sounds really weird to say, but I just have so much empathy for a lot of other phases of life right now because it must be really fucking hard. It's hard for me. So I can only imagine how hard it must be for other people going through these phases of life. Um, I would just remember that like, hopefully this is all temporary, you know, like pandemic or not, you will not hopefully live with your parents for the rest of your life. So just remember that it is temporary. Eventually you will be moving out and whether it's on your own or with friends, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I honestly think like kind of trying to relish in this weird opportunity that you have and like see the bright side. That's what I've been trying to do. Like I would have never thought that there'd be potentially a full year of us not living in our apartment in New York, but I'm oddly grateful for time that I've gotten to spend in Princeton that I never would have otherwise in my childhood house. And you know, spend time with my parents that I never would have. It's not easy. I lived with my parents for the first 70 days in March to June. And I mean, we went through the ringer of fights and just lots of emotions. And I think it was like extra high stress at that time because no one, it was like right when COVID came to the U.S. Um, So it's not easy, but I also think like trying to see the bright side, there's so many people out there who are not seeing their parents right now who wish they could because of COVID and, you know, being grateful for the fact that you're with your parents. Also just like trying to try to save as much money as possible. 
Like that's what I'm trying to use 2020 to do. I am just really trying to save. So, you know, view that as a potential opportunity and also like, no, take kind of advantage of the fact that you're living at home for some parts of it. Like, you know, you get a bigger house than you're probably going to have as an apartment, right? When you move in, you might have space to outdoors that you wouldn't have in like specific cities, home cooked meals, like laundry in your house, probably versus like having to go to a New York city laundromat or like down to a basement and pay for it all. So trying to see the positives and remember that it's all temporary. Um, Those are the questions otherwise going on in my life. I don't know. I'm having a bit of a hard time with work, just feeling like lately very overwhelmed by not that I'm comparing myself to others, but when I see like all different types of content and honestly, I think it's a lot of right now, like maybe it's just me, but I feel like a lot of people are getting like tons of glam done for all this con like and shooting tons of content. And I just feel so disconnected to that. And I like look at people and all their photo shoots and they have all this incredibly gorgeous like content that they're sharing with hair and makeup. And I'm like, I could not be farther from that. And I don't know if it's a problem or not. And I'm trying to reassess that. Like, is that something I need to be doing? Is that something that I just feel like I have to do because of this industry? Is it part of my job and I have to accept it? I don't know. So that's something I'm working through and trying to figure out because it's not really something I'm interested in. And I don't know if it's something I have to just like suck up and do, but it kind of seems like a lot of time and money to me that I'm not interested in. I don't know. Something I'm working through. So if you want to DM me your thoughts, please let me know like what type of content you enjoy. It's always helpful because you guys are the consumer and the people that matter. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please, if you enjoyed the episode, share it on your story tag, Freckled Foodie and at F at FFN Friends Pod and Danielle Prescott. I love hearing your guys' thoughts and feedback on the episode. If you haven't already, please rate and or review. It really does help me and it makes me smile. I hope you guys have a great weekend and I will talk to you next week. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way too active channel and at FF and Friends Pod for more information on the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.